This morning, uh, for our message, we're going to examine one of the uh, great uh, Old Testament Christmas passages uh, in a message I've entitled, Jesus Came, not just to give you a Merry Christmas, but to give you a Merry Life Forever. Uh, The Old Testament passage is the very familiar Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the host will accomplish this. Now, what I'd like us to do is to look at these verses in their larger context. So, I want us to go back to verse 1 of chapter 9, and then we're going to read through verse 7, and you'll find Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, uh, printed out in your notes, covers up most of that first uh, page. If you didn't pick up a copy of the sermon notes, just turn into uh, your Bible or take one of the Bibles on the back of the pew and uh, turn there to uh, Isaiah 9. So let's read these verses together. You follow along uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. And then verse 6, for, in other words, because, everything that we just shared, all those wonderful blessings, or because a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And yes, the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The first truth we want to see, and get this down in your notes, is that God promises, notice, to bring His people out of the gloom of judgment into the glory of salvation. That God promises to bring His people out of the gloom of judgment into the glory of salvation. Look again at verse 1, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun 
and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Circle the words gloom and glorious. And notice the gloom is connected to what Isaiah called the earlier times when God treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. Now, Zebulun and Naphtali are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the, the land that was apportioned to them was in the northernmost part of Israel, which later became the province of Galilee. Now, the gloom being referred to in this passage, and even in the larger context of the book of Isaiah, is the gloom of the Assyrian invasion, which God brought on the nation of judgment in ju uh, for their sin and rebellion. Uh, if you uh, remember your biblical history, the Assyrians conquered uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, literally devastating the land, uh, killing mil uh, multitudes of people, and uh, taking the survivors into captivity as slaves. Uh, we read, for example, 2 Kings uh, chapter 15, verse 29, in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and carried them captive to Assyria. Now, since the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, or Galilee, is northern Israel, uh, they were the very first uh, to experience the brunt of the invasion. Uh, look at the very last verse in the preceding chapter, and I've printed it out there for you in your notes, uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, which sums up very well God's judgment on Israel this way, then they will look to the earth, and behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Now, here's the application. When any person or nation turns away from God's light, it is inevitable that they will walk into sin's darkness and become sin's captive. But as we move into chapter 9, we see God's glorious salvation from sin's captivity. After chapter 8 closes with the people being driven away into sin's darkness to experience distress, gloom, and anguish, notice what the very first word of chapter 9 is, but, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he did treat the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Notice the final word is not God's judgment, but God's glorious salvation. Amen? What you have here is basically an Old Testament equivalent to Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament. You know, after you read the first three verse, verses of Ephesians 3, 
you discover that what? Man is dead in his sin. His nature is depraved in evil. And he's doomed for wrath. I mean, he's doomed for the garbage heap of eternity, hell. Then you come to verse 4. But, praise God for that but. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love by which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Aren't you glad God is a God who loves sinners, who desires all to be saved from the penalty and power of sin? John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Because God did not send the son in the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Have you placed your faith in Jesus to be brought out of the gloom of judgment into the glory of God's salvation? Now, before we move on, let me digress just for a moment to bring out something in chapter 8 that I noticed that I believe applies right now to our nation's present uh, state of affairs. You know, it is so easy uh, to get so caught up in the uh, continual political dramas and conspiracies that you lose sight of the sovereign God, who ultimately is in control and causing all things to work together for the good of His people. The wheels of history literally turn for one express purpose. And that is to perfect God's people, God's family, God's body of believers, the bride of Jesus Christ. Listen to what God said to Isaiah in chapter 8, verses 11, 12, and 13. For thus the Lord spoke to me, Isaiah says, with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, you are not to say it is a conspiracy. In regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. Now, in bringing our attention to this, there's no intent to say you should not be politically informed and involved. Believers are called by God to be the salt of the earth. Therefore, we are to be informed. We are to be involved in the political process. I'm simply saying, as a child of God, do not become fearful in these days. Do not become anxious. Do not become paranoid by the news and the events of our day. Do not fear sinful men. Fear God. Our lives and destinies are not in the hands of sinful men or political parties. Our lives and destinies are in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. He is our sanctuary. Trust Him. Trust Him. Amen. Now move to the second point. God, as we saw in that first point, takes us out of the gloom of judgment into His glorious salvation, 
And then the second point, God describes the glorious salvation He will bring to His people. Look again in your notes at verses 2 through 5. Just go back to that portion of Scripture, but let's focus in on verses 2 through 5. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle torment and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. So look at the next three bullet points in your notes, which describes the glorious salvation that God promised. First, He will bring them out of darkness into light. He will bring you out of darkness into light. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. As we saw in the context, because of judgment, they were driven into darkness. But God said, that's not going to be the final word. There's coming a day when I will penetrate the darkened hearts of men. And I will bring them into the light of my truth. And as I bring them into the light of my truth, they'll know my life. They'll know my love. And their lives will be changed and transformed. But not only are we brought out of darkness into light, look at the second bullet point. He will bring them out of sorrow into gladness. Out of sorrow into gladness. Verse 3, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Notice, he uses two illustrations to express the depth of their gladness. First, he says, you'll be glad as in the gladness of harvest. So that talks about when God will bring salvation, there'll be plentiful provision. And then he says, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So there'll be victory over your enemies. So God says, when salvation comes, I'll be faithful to meet your needs, and I'll be faithful to give you the grace and the empowerment to overcome your enemies. And then notice the third bullet point, he will bring them out of oppression into freedom. He'll bring them out of oppression into freedom. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle torment, and a cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Do you remember the battle of Midian? It's in the book of Judges. And this is where Gideon, with only 300 soldiers, 300 men, were delivered from a massive army that was described in the Bible as, as numerous as locusts. They said the numbers of their ca uh, camel uh, were more than the seas, on, uh, more than the sand on the seashore. So this was just an overwhelming force that had come together against God's people. And yet, God defeated their enemies. These 300 men defeated this overwhelming force. And there was only one explanation for the victory when it was all over. And what was that explanation? 
God did it. I mean, there literally was no other explanation. I think of uh, Jonah and what he wrote after being saved uh, out of the belly of the fish. He put it very simply, which is so true. Salvation is from the Lord, period. Salvation is from the Lord. There is nothing for us to do. All has been done by God. All for us to do is what? Simply put our trust in Him. And also, do not miss the emphasis in verse 5 that not only are the boots and garments of our enemies burned, but they become fuel for our fires. God does not just defeat our enemies. He causes their evil intents against us to be used for our benefit. And this is why the New Testament calls us more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors because since God is for us, He causes all things to work for our good, and nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. When God saves a person, He brings them out of darkness into light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When God saves a person, He brings them out of sorrow into gladness. Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. When God saves a person, He brings them out of oppression into freedom. Jesus said in John 8, verse 32 and 36, You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 confronts us with the ultimate choice in life. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You know, many of you, have, or most of you probably have heard my testimony. Let me just, again, reiterate, using my testimony, I, I got about as low as a person can get in my sin. As you know, I became devastated by my sin. I became captured by that sin, addicted to that sin. I got to the place where I would have given anything to get out of the life that I was living and I just did not have the power. I was literally swimming in my own vomit. Excuse the expression. But I was living day by day. Just an absolute wreck. Just in total depression. Got to the place of being suicidal. And when I hit my lowest time, make a long story short, God in His infinite mercy brought me into contact with a group of some very authentic believers. And as you've heard me share in the past, when I first came into contact with them, I thought maybe I've missed the boat in life, but these folks are absolutely crazy. I mocked them, I scorned them, I ridiculed them. But as I was around them longer, I began to see they had something real. They had something authentic. They had life that I didn't have. They had a, a sense of guidance, a sense of direction. There was a sense of purpose about them, a sense of, 
of, of, of hope. I, I saw all the wonderful fruits of Christianity in their lives. But initially, I was blind to see what was producing that. So I was seeing the fruit, but I didn't realize that was being produced by the vine of Christ that lived in them. And then on September 20th, 1970, I heard those two verses. And when I heard those two verses, I was immediately confronted with a choice. I mean, it was so clear. I mean, God's light just penetrated my darkness, and I saw they had what they had because they had Jesus. I was in the state that I was in because my life was void of Jesus, and I had rejected him. And now I was confronted with a choice. And that night, I invited Christ into my heart that I would possess him that I would be able to come to know the same fruits that these beautiful believers were knowing and expressing in and through their lives. So he who has the Son, he has light. He has gladness. He has freedom. And by the way, when I came to know Christ on September 20th, 1970, that very next day, I prayed to receive Christ that night, fell asleep, Woke up the next day, and I was able to walk away from all of those strongholds and all of those addictions by the freeing power of God. But he who does not have the Son is left only with darkness, sorrow, and oppression. So I invite you. I invite you to receive the gift of Christ. And if you have already received the gift, my admonition is enjoy Him. Enjoy the gift and express your appreciation for that gift by loving him, by serving him, by honoring him. Look at the third truth in your sermon notes. God reveals the child who will bring salvation to his people. Uh, we saw that God brings us out of the gloom of judgment into glorious salvation. And in that salvation, he brings us from light to darkness, from uh, sorrow to gladness, from oppression to freedom, and all of this is a result of a child, of a single person. And the last four bullet points in your notes describe the child, and that first bullet point, the simplest and most obvious, the child is Jesus. The child is Jesus, the one we have sung about this morning, the one that we've heard about this morning. The child is Jesus. Uh, that first part of verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. There is no doubt the child being referred to is the same child whose birth was announced by the angel in Luke 2, verses 10 through 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy with, uh, for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ your Lord. The angel told Joseph, and she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because it will be he who will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew's gospel actually quotes Isaiah 9. 
saying Christ was the fulfillment of these verses. Look in your notes, and I have it printed out there for you, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. This is what we read, and notice the quote from Isaiah and how Christ is its fulfillment. Now, when Jesus heard that John, that's referring to John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, remember John was arrested, eventually beheaded, he withdrew into Galilee. And, of course, we know it was Galilee where he began his ministry. Uh, That's where this little child uh, began to shine his light in the darkness. And it's very, very appropriate in light of the text that we've seen It was that area of Galilee that first experienced the brunt of the Assyrian invasion, knowing the gloom of judgment. But it will be this same area God promised back in Isaiah that will see God's light, uh, that will bring salvation. So he said he withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, This, notice verse 14, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, how did that little child bring us salvation? That little child brought us salvation by growing up to be a man of whom Isaiah also wrote about in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. He was held in low esteem. Surely he took our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Why was he punished by God? You know, he was taking the punishment that we deserved. Verse 5, but he was what? Pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2, verse 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Peter said in Acts 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 11, he humbled himself, Jesus, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God, what, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, Romans 10, 13, whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I invite you, call on the name of Jesus. Call on his name and be saved. If you're a believer, whatever difficulty you're going through, Call on his sweet, precious name. Look at the next bullet point. The child will rule the world. Read in that second phrase in verse 6, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Revelation 19, 16 tells us he has a name written, King of kings and what? Lord of lords. See, Isaiah's prophecy here in chapter 9 not only speaks of Christ's first coming, but also his second coming. The first time Jesus came, a star, the star of Bethlehem, marked his uh, arrival. The second time he comes, the whole heaven will be rolled up like a scroll, and the stars will fall from the sky, and he, Jesus himself, will light the heavens and the earth. The first time Jesus came, there was no room for him in the end. The second time he comes, the whole world will not be able to contain his glory. The first time Jesus came, just a few shepherds attended his arrival. The second time he comes, every eye will behold him. Every knee will bow to him. And every tongue will confess to him that he is Jesus Christ, the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is not only the Savior of the world, He is the King of the world. As the angel said, a Savior who is born. A Savior is born. Who is Christ the Lord? You cannot receive Him as Savior and at the same time reject Him as Lord and King of your life. And this is one of the great, great fallacies in the American church life. This notion that you can receive Jesus as your Savior, and then you can delay whether or not you're going to follow Him as King and Lord. Inherent in faith is repentance. What did Jesus say? Remember going back to that Matthew passage? He said, from that time forth, what did He preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is hand. And what's repentance? It's turning from doing things your way and doing an about face to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Inherent in faith is trust. Inherent in trust is surrender. Inherent in surrender is obedience. If there's no obedience, there's no surrender. If there's no surrender, there's no true trust. So worship Him this Christmas by making your number one ambition, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my life here on earth as it is in heaven. And then look at the child's character. I'll probably say a little bit more about this at the Christmas Eve service. 
It says, and his name will be called, notice, four names. Wonderful Counselor. In other words, when he rules, the character, the nature of his rule, he's all wise. Mighty God, he's all powerful. Everlasting Father, he's all caring. Prince of Peace, there'll be no hostility, only perfect tranquility. That's what Jesus brings. Now, of course, this is speaking of his second coming when he will subdue the earth, and that will characterize his reign as he sits on his throne in Jerusalem. But, folks, reality is for any individual who submits to Jesus today as King of kings and Lord of lords, you will know him as your wonderful counselor, the all-wise one that can guide you through life. You'll know the mighty God, all-powerful, to whom nothing is too difficult. You'll know the everlasting Father, the all-caring, enduring love and tenderness and gentleness of God. And you'll know that sweet peace where hostility ceases and perfect tranquility and calmness rules your heart. And then notice the characteristic of the child's kingdom in verse 7. It's eternal, filled with justice and righteousness. Amen? Eternal, filled with justice and righteousness. There is a day coming when every wrong will be righted. And as old Vance Havner said, there's a payday someday. No one will get off because God is a just God. He's a righteous God. He'll reward the righteous and judge the unrighteous. Now, as I close, here's a simple point. The greatest tragedy at Christmas time, here it is. What's the greatest tragedy at Christmas time? Is that that the fact that multitudes of people have never received the greatest gift that has ever been offered to man, that God offers the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I invite you to receive the gift of Christ. Jesus came not just to give you a Merry Christmas, but to give you a Merry Life forever. Bow with me in prayer. Father, uh, thank you for uh, this wonderful passage out of Isaiah 9 as uh, we see the beauty, majesty, and uh, glory and supremacy uh, of our Savior and how He, by His power, brings us out of the gloom of judgment into His glorious salvation, a salvation that uh, takes us from darkness to light, uh, from sorrow to gladness, from oppression to freedom, uh, a salvation that's rooted in Jesus the child that was born, that grew to be a man, to die that humiliating death on Calvary's cross and then exalted to be given that name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's never received the gift of Christ, I pray even as you did in your infinite mercy in my life, So many, many years ago, you penetrated my darkness. You let the light shine, and I saw his beauty. I saw his 
greatness. I saw his value. And Lord, there was only one thing I could do, and that was to count all things lost in order to gain you and to know you as my Lord and as my Savior. And Lord, I pray you would bring any lost person to that same place tonight or this morning by your grace, by your power and might working in them. And then, Lord, I realize most sitting here are believers, uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this message, I trust, has been a beautiful reminder of the salvation that we possess. And uh, I pray it would ignite our hearts with enthusiasm uh, to appropriate all that you've given us. And then just simply to live our lives in appreciation of the gift that we have received in Jesus. And live that life as we put our confidence and our trust and rely on your power that is at work in us and through us. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.